These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. We're going to work back through the text today, so if you, if you don't have a Bible in your hand or on your device, I would encourage you to pull that up, because we're going to look at the Bible a lot and, and talk about it, okay? Verse 11 it says, and he said, that's Jesus speaking, telling this great story. Um, we have no reason to think that it's necessarily a true story. Jesus often told parables, um, and he actually did it so that his people would hear, and so that others wouldn't hear, he explains to us in other Gospels. But he explains this story, and he says there was a young man who had two sons. Again, just to remind you, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees because they were mad that he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. That's important for this whole story to understand the context. So we have one man, two sons, and what we're about to see is a beautiful picture of God's grace toward each and every one of us. Verse 12 says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now we may lose this some today, but understand at that time, for the younger brother to come to the father and ask for his inheritance was for him to look his dad in the eye and say, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine. Now you're looking at that saying, I don't see that in context. The people Jesus is talking to, they would have understood that. This son is ready to be completely done with his father. Notice what it says, though. And he divided his property between them. It doesn't say the father scolded him. It doesn't say the father chastised him and got him in trouble. He did it. He said, okay. Gave him what he wanted, sent him on his way. Verse 13 says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now this probably hits home for more of us in this room than we care to raise hands. Reckless living. I like that that is such a general term because there are a lot of ways we can waste money, folks. It's easy to point out the easy sins and say, you know, like gambling, prostitution. Yes, yes, yes. But he was just buying things he didn't need. And he wasn't keeping an account. He's just spending the money saying, I've got my dad's inheritance. Let's go. Let's just live it up now. Life is short. Let's do this. Verse 14 says, And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. How about the timing of that? He spends everything he has, and suddenly there's no food for anybody. And he is in need. Folks, if you're here today, whether you're a Christian or whether you just came with somebody and you're not really sure what you think about Jesus, I want you to know that chasing worldly pleasures is like chasing bubbles. It doesn't last very long. Verses 15 and 16, it says, So he went and hired himself out 
to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. This part gets me a little grossed out every time, and I've read this since I was a child. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Have you ever seen a pig? Now, some of you don't know, I'm from Alabama. Judge me as you need to. I don't mind. I have seen a pig or two. I had friends in high school who had pigs just like running around their yards. Pigs are disgusting. Now, do what? But tasty. I guess he couldn't eat the pig because of his laws and stuff. I'm not sure. We don't get all that context, so I'm not going to assume here. He was hungry enough, though, that he's watching these pigs roll around in their own slop, right? It was always a joke, even on like Looney Tunes, that pigs like being in the mud. They roll around in it. Y'all, pigs don't get up and go to the restroom. They just kind of go, okay? And then they eat their slop right out of the same mud. Are we getting this? Because then he, a human man, looks at these pods of these pigs and says, I want to eat that. Some of you may not know I'm a picky eater. I think I would have just died. That's gross, y'all. That's the point of breaking right there. And that's where he was. He was at a point of breaking. The story takes a turn here in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? His father's servants have something to eat, and he's sitting in pig slop thinking about eating what they're eating. So he makes a plan. Verses 18 and 19, he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Folks, he's ready to repent. Now, repent is a church word, okay? I'm I'm big on explaining Christianese to people because even us in the church, we use these words, but we're not really good at telling you what they mean. Repent just means to turn and go the other way, okay? So if we're turning away from our sin, we're turning to Jesus, and we can tell this is repentance because look again at what he says. I have sinned against heaven and before you. He's repenting to God. He's repenting to his father. This is his plan. He says, I'll go back. I won't ask to be his son again because he's already given me his inheritance. I'll just go be a servant in his house. Maybe he'll be merciful. Verse 20 could choke me up every time. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I have a close relationship with my parents. I'm blessed with that. I know some of your parents may have gone to be with the Lord or they may not have a great relationship with your parents. I'm very blessed that I have a close relationship still to this day. I try to call my mom every day, but I promise you, if I walked home from here to Alabama, which I realize I couldn't physically do, I could be a long way off and my mom would be able to recognize my silhouette and know that's my son. Parents know stuff like that. Now the father sees this son coming and he had every right to say, oh, look what the cat dragged in. But he doesn't. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion 
Did you know compassion is the number one emotion attributed to Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all the Gospels? Compassion of the Father. He feels bad for his son. He wants better for him. So he runs to him. In this time, and every commentary I could read and find, it, it explained it the same way. In this time, it was culturally basically unacceptable for an older Jewish man to run ever. That was seen as you were in a hurry, you, you were living crazy. You walked and you walked properly and you kind of strolled. He didn't care about that. His son was home. And he had compassion on him. He was glad to see him. So he runs and he embraces him and he kisses him. And when you read that, if you stop and say, is this a kissing book? Yeah, apparently it is. At least for a compassionate kiss. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see that? He executes his plan perfectly. He says exactly what he said he would say. I repent to God. I repent to you. I'm not worthy. But verses 22 and 23 don't go like the son expects. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. The best robe. Not just go get a robe. Go get the best thing we've got. At the time, jewelry was less common too, so to go get a ring was just to make this all the more ordinate. And put, put shoes on his feet, because he doesn't have shoes, he's already sold everything he's got. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And I know I can get an amen for that in South Carolina. Because, yes, my wife happens to be a vegetarian. Technically, she'll eat some fish, but usually she's just a vegetarian. And all I'm saying is right here in the Bible, we're eating a fattened calf. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and let us eat and celebrate. We're having a party. My son's home. Let's dress him in the best robe. Let's get him his shoes on and his ring on. Do you see the compassion and the heart of the father for the prodigal son? The one who wished him dead. The one who took his money. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I want you to know that the father waits for you to greet you the same way. Amen. If you will come to him through Jesus Christ, trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, the father waits to embrace you, to welcome you not as a servant only, but as a son and daughter, as his child to make you part of his family. Notice in verse 24 what the father says, for this my son was dead, not my servant. Now, we are servants of the Lord, I get that. But it's a different kind of service when you're also part of the family. Now this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is Found, and they began to celebrate. This contrast is such a beautiful picture of what it means to move from death and sin to life in Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christians here today, we know this to be true. We've experienced this. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've been made alive in him. We have eternal life that starts now and goes on forever. We know what it means to be lost. And for him to come and find us. You see, Jesus stepped out of heaven to come to this earth and save his people. 
He took on flesh to look like us and live the life that we never could, completely sinless, completely perfect. And then he died the death that we should have in our place for our sin, bearing the wrath of God for us. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he was raised to new life, showing the first fruits of eternal life, the hope, the sure hope that we have of eternal life with him. One day we will be raised like him if we will turn away from our sin and trust in him as Savior and Lord. If you don't know that truth today, you can today. Now is the time. Don't wait for famine to come into your life. Don't wait until you've squandered everything. Don't waste another moment of your life. Today, you can know the Lord. And the Father will celebrate. And the angels will celebrate. And God's people will celebrate. Now, typically, a sermon could end here. Done. Let's go home, right? Early lunch. Woo! Sorry if I just teased you. Because there's a whole part of this that we forget about far too often. And honestly, church folks... Talking to me too. This might be the part we need to hear. Verses 25 and 26 say, Now his older son, remember, tale of two sons, was in the field. You know what that means? He's working. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. This other son was out here acting a fool. Reckless living is directly what we find in the scriptures here. He's working hard in the field. Now, I did not grow up on a farm, but even hearing stories of my dad growing up on the farm, I don't want to do work in the field. And the son is out there faithfully doing that, doing what's expected of him, being a good son by all rights. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, I just want to point this out. It says he heard music. That makes sense to me. To hear dancing, we're having a good time. That means they're stomping and clapping and, and th things are going, okay? This, this is a real party for this son who was lost and has come home. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. What's going on? I, I've, I've been out working. What's, why is there a party tonight? Verse 27, and he said to him, this is the servant to the older brother, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Man, wouldn't it be a great story if the older brother just did a backflip right here and ran inside and partied with him and said, man, we're so glad you're home. Wouldn't that be the happy ending that we like to see on TV? But that's not what happens. Verses 28 and 29 says, but he was angry and refused to go in. Now, I know in a good church like this, where y'all have been extremely kind to me, by the way, we would never have ill feelings toward anyone coming in the church who we felt like maybe didn't belong. That would never happen in a good Christian church in America, would it? You know, something I think is really sad is in churches we've often failed to celebrate repentance the right way. Oftentimes, when we need to repent, we are slow to repent because we wonder how people will receive it. I'm here to tell you today, if you have something you need to repent of and you want to talk to me about it after service, I will celebrate with you that you're turning away from that sin and turning to Christ. 
Because that's nothing of our flesh. That's nothing of this world. That's of God. That's evidence of the Spirit of God inside of you doing a good work. We'll celebrate that here. But it's so sad because I think, I don't know if it's been this church. I've not been here long enough to know. But I've certainly been to churches where I don't think repentance was celebrated. I do think if some people repented, that they would always be getting a side eye of people waiting on them to fail again. There may be some holding off of, well, we don't want them in our Sunday school class because, you know, we're kind of waiting to see how long they last at the church. I've noticed it's really quiet when I'm talking about this because if you haven't done this in your own heart, maybe you've experienced this. Christians, this isn't how we're supposed to be, and if we have felt that way, Today is the day to repent of that, to turn away from that, to confess it to God and say, that's not who I want to be anymore, because that's being a Pharisee. That's being just like the Pharisees. And what we miss so much in the story when we don't talk about the older brother is we miss that the Pharisees were just as lost as the prodigal son. Just a different kind of lostness. You can be out reckless living and obviously openly rebellious to God, and everyone says, yeah, that person's not a Christian. That person might even tell you. Maybe you're here today and you'd say that. Yeah, I'm not a Christian. Pray you will be today. But you can be just as lost saying you're a Christian, calling to him, Lord, Lord, but living in self-righteousness, trusting in our own strength, not in Jesus' blood at the cross, continuing to be judgmental, not being compassionate like our God. I will say from my experience with many of you, I've not sensed that from you here. I appreciate your encouragement and your love and welcoming my wife and I here. But even as I prepared this, it weighed heavy on me to think, this is who I used to be. I was a Pharisee. I'm a recovering Pharisee. You see, the Father's love is not just for the prodigal, but also for the Pharisee. And it gives hope to all of us. So he's angry. He refuses to go in. Notice this, though. His father came out and entreated him. Do you remember when the father saw the prodigal son who was far off? He ran to meet him. He also goes out to the older brother. He doesn't wait for the older brother to come back in. He knows what's going on. goes out and entreats him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's angry. He's not going to party. Father comes to him, and basically the brother says, where's my party? I've been faithful the whole time. You gave him the fattened calf. I didn't even get a goat. That may not make as much sense to us, but for us it's like, you got him Chick-fil-A. I didn't even get Tyson out of the freezer. He's angry. He doesn't want to party, but the father has come to him to entreat him. Notice what he says in verse 30. This is the older brother still speaking. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Did you notice what he says? He doesn't say, when my brother came. He says, when the son of yours. Won't even call him his brother. 
But notice the compassion of the father once again. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Just as he called the prodigal son, he goes out to this self-righteous older brother and still calls him son and still calls him back home. Christian, if you have wavered, if you have slipped into being bitter or judgmental and it's just eating you up, I need you to know the Father's welcoming you back right here today. There's grace and compassion in Christ that's enough for me and enough for you. I love that he says, all that is mine is yours. Do we get that? When we say that Jesus' blood makes us part of the family, do we realize that that gives us a union with Christ that means we receive his inheritance? Scripture says we will reign with him in the new heavens and new earth. Are we getting that? We who were rebellious against the holy, perfect God. God had every right, by the way, when Adam and Eve first sinned to just go, all right, let's have a new earth. No people. But he didn't. He was loving and compassionate. And he doesn't just forgive us. He does forgive us. But he forgives us and then raises us up to the level of his son, uniting us with Christ, that we receive all of his blessing. The father looks at those in Christ and says, all that is mine is yours. Is your inheritance in the kingdom of God? Or are you worried more about your inheritance in this world? Verse 32, the father says, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Notice, the older brother wouldn't call them that other guy his brother. He called it your son. But when the father speaks, he says, your brother. And it reminds him that this is your brother. You see, when you are saved in Christ, you're, you do come into the kingdom on your own. The father by grace through your faith in Jesus Christ, saves you. But when you become a Christian, you become part of God's people. You have brothers and sisters. We are responsible for each other now to do this journey together, to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth together. That's good news because we're not alone. And I know now, in, in the midst of everything else, we can feel alone. Social distancing is terrible, y'all. And even now, you know, we've got a space out like this and wear masks. It's hard for me to even get to know you. Especially some of you sweet ladies. You change your hair the way it's fixed. And I see you the next week and I'm like, I don't know who you are. But I'm really glad to see you. You're really nice. But if we're not careful, y'all, it does get lonely, doesn't it? You only go home and watch the same Netflix show so many times before you start thinking, wow, we've got to do something else. And trust me, this will surprise some of you. I'm an introvert which means that being around people wears me out. It makes me tired. And yet, even in these months of social distancing, I think, man, I'm ready to be back with people, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially in that sweet fellowship that's only made possible by Jesus' blood at Calvary. Again, the Father uses that language, was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Is that your story? Do you know that you were dead in your sins and you're alive in Christ now, that you were lost and now you're found? 
We talked at the beginning about cliffhangers. Did you notice that that's just the end of the story? The brother doesn't say anything else. The father leaves it right there. Personally, if I'm there present and people kind of start, the crowd starts to disperse, I would be like, what's going on? <laughs> what's the end of the story, Jesus? But that's the point he's making. Remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees as he hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. And he ends on the note of the older brother. Why? Because he's giving an invitation. He's trying to help the Pharisees see, this is you. And notice what he says to them. All that is mine is yours. He's saying, come celebrate these repentant sinners with me. Come welcome them into the family. He's inviting us today to celebrate his great work of salvation. I'm not sure why you came today. If you came thinking, man, I hope this new guy can preach, or man, I hope we're singing my favorite song, or man, I hope so-and-so isn't there, or man, I can't believe somebody made me get up early and actually come to this. Whatever reason, I don't think you're here by coincidence. I think the Lord has you here today to hear this from his word. Because just as this story ended for the Pharisees to kind of ask the question of themselves, will they come back to the Father? We learn from this story. Because apart from Christ, we are all prodigals and Pharisees. But the gospel offers hope to both the openly rebellious and the self-righteous. The good news of Jesus Christ is good news to anyone who will trust in him as Savior and Lord. I promise you, if you're here today and you say, well, preacher, you don't know my past. I've done some things. I'm here to tell you, you don't know my Savior. You don't know how good he is. You don't know his grace, and you can. You can be forgiven. You can have new life. And if at some point earlier in your life you had a day where you repented, but since then you've just been going through the motions, and it's not been real for you, not really been following after Jesus, you just kind of found your spot in church, you're going to sit there, you're going to give every month, and you're going to show up, but you're not actually living to glorify God, you can repent of that today too. Which son are you? Are you far from God and openly rebellious against him? Or are you the older son, the good church-going person? I told you I'm a recovering Pharisee. And I'm here to give hope to you because I was the prodigal son who was lost and found. And even once I was found, I wandered around some more. But the Lord has been gracious to me. Do you personally know that love and grace of God? I hope that you will repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ today. I hope you'll become part of God's family. I hope you will find new life in Christ that begins now and goes forever. We won't be able to have a time where you come forward and talk to me during a song because of distancing and things like that, but I hope that today, if God is stirring in your heart that you need to repent of anything, you want to pray with somebody, come find me after service. I'll stand with you in the parking lot. We can stand at a distance, and I'll pray for you right there. We'd love to talk to you. If you came with other Christians, talk to them about this. If you are a Christian and you say, you know, I do have some things in my heart that I need to repent of. I need, I need to work through some of these things. Let's talk about that. Today is the day. Will you come to the Father? Let's pray.